Amen. Thank you. And good morning, church family. It's awesome to be in the house of the Lord together with you. We are on day 35 of 92. So if you're uh, keeping track, uh, our head pastor is on sabbatical and he's gone for 92 days. So if you're a guest with us, thank you for being here. I'm the associate pastor, um, and we're counting down the days to the head pastor. Some of you are for real. Okay. Uh, no matter what, continue to pray for Pastor Luke and his wife, Molly, our children's pastor. Did you see how many kids just left? They're, they're averaging almost 80 kids downstairs. And you know what they need? They need shushers. So if you would like to volunteer, they're in need of... John Rickey's down there right now, and that's his job. Shh, that's it. If you can do that, you can help downstairs with 80 kids. Because uh, it's, yeah, it's needed. And here's the cool thing. We might not know this, but the only reason we're up here is because God's getting the little hearts downstairs. Because he loves the little kids, and he tells them, don't hinder the kids coming to him. So... Sign up to be a shusher. Okay, I'm going to put that plea in there one more. Because my wife's down there. I know what she needs. Okay. Last week, we focused on our graduates, and it was wonderful. Uh, we had a guest speaker, Bill Allison, was with us, and he brought the word. But I didn't mention this, and I want to mention it now. The veterans. We love you guys. We thank you for what you've done for our freedoms. To be able to even talk about Jesus Christ is because of what so many gave. So thank you. I did not uh, intentionally look over Veterans Day, but I want to say it now in honor. Thank you. Uh, even just reading and talking this week uh, in the Korean lands, I don't remember if it was north or south, but just to look at this Bible, and I don't mean look in it, I mean look at a Bible sitting on a shelf. Just to look at the Bible, they will kill three generations of your family. Thank a veteran, because we have the freedom to read it, and to speak it, and to teach it. So thank you, veterans, for fighting for those. And so I wanted to put that out to you, because they never forget. We are the ones that need to be thankful. All right. Now, Matthew 22, where we're headed. I think that's all my announcements. Matthew 22, it is in page 983 of your Bible in your chair. I'd love for you to grab it. We're going to walk down verse by verse. We're going to start by reading 14 of them. So stand with me as we read God's Word together. Well, I'll read it. You just listen. Ooh, somebody left a donut in the front row. <laughs> you better come get that. That's like leaving a fat kid with cake right there. My... That totally distracted me. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Okay. Matthew 22, uh, starting in verse 1. Pray for me, y'all. Okay. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, 
I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderous murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at his guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your invitation. And Lord, we thank you for the truth of this parable. Help us to unpack it, but Lord, help us to know how to live it. Help us to see the hope in it. Help us to hear your call for our very hearts, our very souls to come to you. We love you. We thank you for your great invitation, and we thank you, Lord, it is for all. Help us to run to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So right here in Matthew 22, I would like to share with you kind of where this is within the timeline of Jesus, okay? He is in Holy Week. He just, on the following Sunday, he had the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. This is probably Tuesday or Wednesday. He's already gone in and cleaned the temple out, overturned tables, whipping people, and cleaning out God's house. And the Pharisees that were there were challenging his authority. And he says, you know, tell me the authority. Where does John get his authority? And they wouldn't answer. So he said, neither will I answer you. So he's in the temple all week, and he's teaching. All right? Now, in chapter 21, he just shares all the Pharisees are there, and all of them are standing around him, and he is teaching, and they're, they're there. They're the religious leaders of the day. All right? And he is, as he's teaching... He starts to give, in chapter 21, he gives the parable of two sons, and he's talking about the Pharisees, right? And then he gives the parable of the tenants, and he's talking about the Pharisees. And in fact, it says in uh, 21 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. They were very perceptive. Jesus was calling out the religious leaders of the day, and he's telling them, hey, you're like these two parables. You have your own righteousness. You don't even need God. You honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from him. And so he says to them, even the stone in which you are rejecting, which was Jesus, is the chief cornerstone. So he's calling these Pharisees out, and they get in Mark this same parable, the same 
situation Jesus is teaching. And Mark, they get all huffy. And they're like, mm, that's it. We're going to go have a meeting. And they do. <laughs> you can laugh. They do. They go have a meeting. And guess what they're discussing? How to trip him up. How to kill him. And how to do this so the crowd doesn't get angry. Because they have seen everything he's doing and behold him as a prophet. So Jesus speaks the two parables. to The Pharisees are there. They go decide to have a meeting, and it's almost like Jesus leans into this parable we just read. And he's talking to the common people. And this parable is a gospel parable. It's about hope. And I can tell you what, we need hope. Because if it's left to me and my righteousness, I've got no hope. But Jesus gives us the hope that he has in this parable, and it's for all. So we're going go to go to verse 1. This is why it says that he spoke to them in another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. All right, here's a king giving a wedding feast for his son. If you don't come to my wedding feast, are you insulting me or my son? And you guys are like, oh, this is a trick question. Yep, let's go have rhubarb. No. Just, okay, thank you. The jokes don't get any better. Okay. <laughs> it's both, right? I mean, the king is sending out an invitation and if you don't come, you're insulting the king. But above that, I don't know if you've ever seen an angry bear when you mess with somebody's kids. Have you ever, yeah, oh, I've seen some angry mama bears. I, too, have become murderous in my papa bears. And I don't mean because they drove me nuts and I'm going to kill them. <laughs> I, I just remember there was time, like two times specifically in my life, we were on a vacation. My son decided he knew how to get back to our hotel room, and he got lost. I didn't know where he was, and it was my responsibility. I can tell you what I was running up and down that hall. I mean, I have never been ready to slay a person because they're messing with my son, and here he is with his mom. I'm still, in, I'm still struggling with that one. Okay, I get all emotional. And I'm serious because it was like... I was ready to, I, yeah, let's move on. Okay. The other time was, uh, I was in my own, we were on our own property, and there was a ravenous dog coming after my kids. It was all four of us were out there in our garden, and this dog was coming at us. And you know what? There was a trigger in here of a papa bear. Some of you are not, like, you got this trigger, and all of a sudden, this dog that's running at us to attack my kids, I'm running at the dog. It wasn't even a thought. I'm going to kill this thing before it gets to my kids. And then, you know, as I'm running at a ravenous dog coming at me, it, he changed tactics. He's like, whoa, this guy's coming at me. So he ran. <laughs> it was all good. I didn't kill anything, all right, you guys? But when I talked to my wife, when, when I got inside, I talked to my wife, and my kids were little, like two, one and two. When I talked to my wife, I'm like, oh, I was ready to kill that dog. And she goes, I know. The only reason I brought the kids inside is they didn't have to watch their dad kill a dog. <laughs> like, thanks. All right. At least we were on the same page. So 
I'm telling you, you mess with the kids, watch out. I don't think God's any different. He sent his son. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. What happens if we reject him? He's saying to everybody, come, come. The feast is ready. Jesus has, right? He's been, he died on the cross. I almost said he's been slain. God has prepared absolutely everything. This is a gospel picture. In verse 3, it says, and he sent servants out to those that were worthy, because eventually they became unworthy. So he invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And what we have to understand is there's two invitations to the same people, okay? And this was their custom. Two invitations would go out. It's like that first one is like a save the date, RSVP, right? Like, hey, there's going to be a wedding. My son's getting married. And it was their custom of why there's two is because the man and the woman would come together in marriage first in what they called a betrothal. We call it engagement. All right, anybody, you with me? But this engagement period was so binding, they would fill out a contract just like marriage of everything that the marriage was going to be based on was signed when you got engaged. Like Mary and Joseph, right? They were betrothed, but they were not married yet, okay? So this could happen up to a year. They would sign the contract. The woman would go to her family's house. The male would go to his father's house, and he would begin to prepare a place for his bride. Build a room and how good of a woodworker. It might take two years, depending on the contractor. But he would begin to prepare a place. Isn't this what Jesus told us, church? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when it's ready, he comes in with his groomsmen in a wedding procession to the bride's house. She then hears that he's coming. She grabs her bridesmaids, and this is like the ten virgin parable. They're all waiting for the groomsmen to show up. And he comes in a procession with his wedding party. She's got her wedding party. He knocks on the door. He's like, are you ready? Yep, let's go. So they go in a procession back to the groom's house where he has prepared a feast. And depending on how rich his family is, this feast could last a week. So this, at the end of that week, then they would consummate their marriage. But this thing could, the first invitation is sent out, hey, there's a contract going on. My son has a bride. They are going to get married. So he sends out that first invitation, and they're all like, nah, yeah, we're not going to save, we're not going to RSVP, we're not going to get on your website and sign up. So they, they, didn't even, they didn't even respond like, yeah, we'll save the date or hey, we'll be coming. So the second wave, he sends out another wave. He sends out his servant saying, all right, tell those who are invited, I have prepared my dinner. This is verse four. I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calves. They've been slaughtered and everything is ready. The procession is happening. Come, the feast is ready. At eight o'clock, uh, I said, we pulled the pork. There's no unpulling it, right? 
But Steve said, they don't eat pork. I'm like, you're right. That's why it says they killed the fatted calf. So, maybe not as funny at 10.15. Okay. <laughs> they have prepared their brisket, right? We cannot unprepare it. You can't unkill the fatted calf. He's ready. And what did they say this time? One goes to his own farm. He's got his own things to do. Another one decides, no, I'm going to go take care of my business. And the people that were worthy to come rejected the king's invite and didn't want anything to do with it. Hmm. How often this has been my own heart. God presents me with his love, his grace, his truth, and I reject it? Oh, I'm too busy, Lord. I don't have time to read your word today. I've got to go to my business. I work at the church, so that's kind of a, yep. Okay, only me. Yep. Oh, Lord, I'm too busy. I got to do this. I don't have time to pray for you or with you or talk to you. I can't. No, Lord, I'm too busy. And I've rejected and insulted the king. Do you think there might be an issue? Well, you've read it already. You know there's an issue. The king was angry, verse 7. And this, the king is angry, sent troops and destroyed the murderers and burned their city. Luke's, Luke chapter 10 and 16 says it this way. The one who hears you hears me. This is Jesus speaking. The one that does not receive, or the one that rejects you rejects me. And the one that rejects you rejects the one who sent me. You get it? Rejecting Jesus is rejecting God. And I just ask, are you done rejecting? You know your own heart. I know mine. I confess many times that my earliest drug problem was my parents dragging me to church three times a week. They drugged me, get it? Drugged? Okay, we're going to rewind the tape on that one. I'm thankful they drugged me to church. I needed it. But when I was sitting there, and youth, listen up. Your hearts are far from it. You're forced to be here. I get it. This is the best place you can be because you yield your heart to an ultimate king. You got faithful parents that are bringing you, and God's invitation is for you. Don't reject it. Don't reject it. I did. I was rejecting the king. Verse 8, he says to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. These were the Jews, these were the Israelites. And he says, now go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Verse 10, and those servants went out in the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled. Did you hear that? That is the gospel to us. 
The Israelites didn't find themselves, they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They rejected the chief cornerstone. They wanted nothing to do with him. And then the call isn't stopped. He sends it out to all of us. And he says, come. Whether you think you're bad or you're good, come. Whether you think you've done it all wrong or you've done it in any way, shape, or form, just come. Everybody's invited. Have you accepted the invitation to come? You know, the gospel was the first thing to use all-inclusive. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter the sin. There's an invitation for each person. He sent it in his word. He sent prophets to tell us it's not about your righteousness. It's not about your goodness. It's about Jesus, the one who died. It's about what he did. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he did on the cross. It's not about how bad, how horrible we know we are. It's about we know the one. And we're all invited. But do you find yourself worthy? Do you think in your head, oh, I'm unworthy. Uh, just the fact that I'm here, God's lucky. I'm just... Pfft. I don't, want, I don't want anything to do with it. I was the same way. Rejected church, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And then I found Jesus, because even Jesus rejects the religiosity. And he wants the relationship with each of you. And the invitation's open. I wish I could plead even more to you. But here's the thing. Even those of us that have heard the invitation and we've come, maybe we've come the wrong way because the parable doesn't stop. They got the good and the bad and they got everybody off the streets and they're all gathered in there and they, they're in there and they're pomp and they're pious and they're, yes, we're here, we made it, we got an invitation, we're considered worthy, right? And then the king comes in. And this word here, the king comes in and looks. It's not just like, oh, hey, look at all the guests. It says the king in the Greek, it's like he comes in and he gazes on his guests. And this is the intent. Are they good enough to present to my son? The king is inspecting those that are going to be presented to his son. And then he says, friend hear the words, friend? How did you get in here without a wedding garment? There's a way. You might be invited, but there's only one way in. And you know, these people in the highways and the byways, the poor, the cast out, they didn't have a kingly robe. In fact, they would go to the king's palace. Most of them would have a robe room that you would put on the garment to be able to go into the presence of royalty. Back then, purple was the color of royalty because it was so rare. I go into the history, you had to dive down and get oysters and their blood could make purple. That's why it became royalty. Like Slaves would die to make purple garments. Now, it doesn't matter. 
But in order to go in front of a king, you had to have the right garment. You guys following me? You had to have a wedding garment. The history of this, I shared it. Eight. Joseph went before Pharaoh. He was in the prison. He interpreted dreams. And then the cupbearer, two years later, was like, hey, there's a guy back in prison I met, and he interpreted my dream, and it came true. Why don't you get a hold of him about your dream? So they actually go to the pit. They go to the dungeon. It says they shave him up. They give him a change of clothes so he could go before a pharaoh. Now, I understand when you come from a jail, you want to change and shower no matter what. But there's a symbol here of going before royalty. You have to have the right attire. Moses. Moses was drawn out of the Nile River. That's what his name means. Drawn out. Who was he drawn out of the river by? Pharaoh's daughter. You guys, okay. He's drawn out of the river by Pharaoh's daughter. She has a little Hebrew baby. She takes back to the palace of Pharaoh, right? You have Pharaoh, and then you have Ramses, you have his daughter, and you have Moses. Guess what he's given? A royal robe. He's a Pharaoh. He goes out into the desert for 40 years where he's, talk, he's hanging out with God. God gets a hold of him by the burning bush. He says, I want you to go talk face-to-face -face with Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go and let him come out and worship me. How do you think Pharaoh went from a desert to the face of Pharaoh, talking right to him? You know what's in my brain? There's little Pharaoh guards with like swords, spears, I don't know, something, lightsaber. They're guarding. You can't just go from the desert to walk. Do you think you could walk in the king's presence anywhere in the world right now? Do you think it was possible then? No, but they're guarding. They don't let any riffraff in. But guess what? Pharaoh comes from the desert with his garment on. And as he's passing these guys, they're like, hold your sword. This is a Pharaoh. Don't touch him. Otherwise, whose life is it? Mine. So the guards just stand there with their lightsabers and they don't do anything. Pharaoh walks right into, <laughs> Moses walks right into Pharaoh's face. He's like, let God's people go. He's got the garment. This is the hope in the parable. The people who weren't worthy, they didn't come. And so God says, bring in the riffraff. And guess what? I've got clothing for them that they don't even know about. Bring in the bad. Bring in the, the broken. Bring in the destitute. Bring in those that don't know that they've been invited to the king's presence. They come in. How are you going to step into God's holy throne room if you do not have the righteousness of Christ? It's not your righteousness. The Bible says our righteousness is filthy rags. Cast it off. Put on Christ so that you may enter. In Genesis, there's two angels standing there, and they have flaming swords, the first lightsaber. They got cherubs standing by the tree of life. Nobody can enter it or you will die. 
When Seth Bowker comes walking in in the righteousness of Christ, are they going to even take a swing at me? What garment are you wearing? Because those cherub angels that God set up, they're going to hold their swords because God sees Jesus in me. Do you get it? That's the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only way you're getting into God's throne room is through Jesus Christ and his blood washing you clean. You get to step into God's throne room clean and holy and pure all because of this. His blood. We get to wear this wedding garment. We get to come to the wedding feast. God is saying, hey, don't wait till you die. The feast is now. He is here. He is now. Partake of his blood. Be forgiven of his sins and step into it like God's word says in Hebrews. We get to approach the throne of grace and find help in our time of need and mercy. If you don't know what wedding garment you have on, God will inspect you. We're all going to give an account before him. My heart is too heavy for the people that are like Judas. Judas was in the Lord's presence. He was in Jesus' presence. He saw the miracles. He saw everything. And Jesus said the same word that this king says to him, friend. Some of you are so close, but without the garment. Some of you are here, but you don't know how to be clothed or forgiven or Christ's righteousness to be poured over you, just like Judas. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here? He calls him friend. Because they're that close. And the Bible says, and people will cry out, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we know you? Didn't we heal the sick? And Jesus will say, depart, I never knew you. You were not clothed with his righteousness. There's one last. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. Lincoln was here. He disappeared. Hallie, will you come up? You write this down. This is a simple, and I've done this with robes. You want to come up and help me, buddy? Okay, you don't have to. Okay, Austin. Austin, yep, you too. I need you both. 2 Corinthians 5.21. You can stand right there so you're on camera. I'm going to let this young man, what's your first name again? Landon. Landon. Landon gets to be Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you guys, settle this in your hearts. This is what God does. It's called the greatest exchange. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that Jesus, who knew no sin, pure, perfect, holy, without blemish, he who knew no sin, and this is a new hat, so we'll put it right on. He who knew no sin... became sin for us. Jesus became sin for us, but guess what? That we might become the righteousness of him. That's our gospel. 
I'm going to do it one more time. It's that simple. Jesus, who knew no sin, pure and holy, God made him to be sin for us so that we become the righteousness of God. This is your wedding garment. This is how you're getting in. Do you know you're invited? Have you come the right way? Because there is no other way. Thank you, fellas. Thank you, buddy. The heaviest one is the one that the king looks at and says, how did you get in? Tells his servants to bind him hand and feet. The man was speechless. There was no way. He knew what it took and he denied it and rejected it. And here, here's the end. It says, many are invited, many are called, but few are chosen. And those of us that know, I've got no other righteousness but the righteousness of Christ, we celebrate. Because we have a peace. We don't have to work for it. We didn't have to be good enough. We just had to be broken and humbled and submit and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's when God steps in and justifies you, makes you clean. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If you need a gluten-free, grab it now. We will celebrate communion. Have your cup ready, but as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, Steve is going to play. The Bible says that we are to examine ourselves before the Lord. But here's the thing. God is also examining. Ask him. Pray the same prayer that David prayed. Lord, search me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, search me, cleanse me, wash me. He pleaded for God to examine him. Take this moment and examine your hearts before the Lord.
church family, the Lord's table is open to all. The only thing we ask is that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to partake. The gospel says to everyone, come, you're invited. Don't reject him. Let's pray. If you grab the bread side, I'm going to pray and then I'll read. But Heavenly Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus Christ. The bread symbolizes his body. And Lord, it's without yeast. It tastes funny because yeast makes it taste good. But Lord, it represents the Passover that they were so busy running for their lives they didn't have time to have yeast. But Lord, the truth is it reminds every Israelite, every person that your body was without sin. Yeast represents sin. So thank you for your pure body. Thank you that even Jesus thanked you for the body you prepared. That was his very flesh to be broken open, to be torn apart, to be split. And that perfect body split open was our sacrifice. Thank you for the body. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. And so Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave thanks and he told his disciples, take, eat, this is my body. Take a moment before we do the cup. Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Without his blood being shed, we are not forgiven. This is our atonement. This is our covering. Jesus is our robe. Let us partake. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the precious anointing blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we've heard your call, your invitation. Help us in our hearts to accept it. And then, Lord, help us to yield to your lordship, to obey you. You tell us if we love you, then we would obey you. So thank you. Thank you for washing us clean. Thank you for making us righteous. Because of what you've done, we can commune with a holy God. 
Help us to learn your ways. Help us to follow you with all that we have. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you that you're calling every single person. Help us to run to you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, you've heard the call. You're invited. If you've accepted it, you want to walk out your obedience. Let's stand and sing Amazing Grace.